Um, but another question for you, Christina. Um, how has your community contributed to your pleasure journey? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I just had this conversation with my best friend. Um, she said, do you ever realize that you're, you're the reason all of our different communities are honest, vulnerable, and real? And I was like, what? <laughs> um, and so I, I had to sit in that like with such humility um, and really think about like it's true though, right? So like I have a beautiful friend group. It's it's like a four of us or like this little little squad, and it's true. Like I come into spaces and like we have to unpack. Well, what did you really mean? Mm-hmm. Well, what's getting triggered for you right now? Oh, does that come from? And like that's just who I am. And so I think communities for me let me do that and match that energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's why my relationships in you know college weren't it. Like mm-hmm. no one was wanting to do that. No one was willing to do that. And then I was like the clingy, emotional, overly mm-hmm. sensitive. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, but you gonna call me later. I want to talk about everything behind closed doors. So <laughs> <laughs> right, like yeah, right. So I feel like at this stage in my life. It has been in my safety to own that power, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And that's what's so interesting is, like, I, I feel like to own your stuff, you feel like I'm my, I'm getting too big. I got to, like, humble myself. Mm-hmm. And I will always be, like, like the humility will always be there because I'm constantly learning. I'm imperfect. Mm-hmm. Like, But I do now recognize the power that I bring for people to come home. Yeah to each other and themselves in spaces. And so for communities that have been transformational for me have been ones that answer the call to come home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you're just making me tear up every <laughs> single time you speak. Literally. Yeah, and I, I don't know about you guys, but I've always felt that, not the need, but like the calling mm-hmm. to heal with the people around me. Yeah. And I remember I was trying to do that in high school, but then again, like, and I'm just a very naturally vulnerable person, especially mm-hmm. if my intuition is like trusting you. Yeah. But like nobody was on the same type of timing. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. felt very alone in that way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm just yeah. so happy I found community here. Cause <laughs> Lord, I don't think I was able to do another four years without this type of depth in my community. Yeah. Yes. We definitely talked about that last yeah. episode. Because we definitely had different experiences in high school. Mm-hmm. But I think it's what college that mm-hmm. made us really mm-hmm. in tune with being in community with each other. Mm-hmm. And meeting someone like Christina who taught us what community really is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. being vulnerable and being able to unpack with one another. Mm-hmm. But I do have a question since we're talking about pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I feel like we've Christina has definitely mentioned about orgasms. <laughs> 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 She mentioned something about breathing. Oh. I need to know the truth. Breath. Tell me how you do it. No. What about breathing? Because I breathe. <laughs> I'm breathing now. There's no orgasm. <laughs> what no. is it? What's the tea? What's the tea? Yeah. Any tips or tricks? <laughs> no, really, though. So I can take to the bedroom. You know what I'm saying? Take to the bedroom. Yes. Well, I honestly think, um, you know, if you're looking for that O, the big O, <laughs> you have to start with your own O. Mm, right Uh and so you're not again other things were not taught tell me in what world is something that like that you have to find in you 
you're told to find it with someone who doesn't know where it is. Do you know, like, that's what, like, sex is coming together Mm -hmm. to create a pleasurable experience. Mm -hmm. But because we're so sex repressed and sex ashamed, I have not done any of the work to find my erogenous zones, to know where my juiciness is, where my yeses are. And I'm supposed to let you figure that out. Uh, like yep. it's actually crazy mm-hmm. the things we've accepted about the choreography of sex. Like it's it's lunacy, yeah, right? Like it is. So I really think you know it's like where are my juicy yeses mm-hmm. in my own body and spending time exploring your own zones, right? So mm-hmm. in one of the workshops I do, like I literally hand out like an outline of a body. And I have like like we get colored pencils and <laughs> like we're like behind the ear. You'll be surprised mm-hmm. like what some erogenous zones mm-hmm. are. And if cis het men weren't so homophobic, oh. we could be touching them in a lot of places they actually would like. Oh, um, say it for the folks in the motherfucking <laughs> back, please. Um, right. So when we do that workshop um, and cis het men are in the room, I'm like, go ahead, color that. <laughs> Trust me, color that. What's your favorite color? Green? Color that all green. <laughs> uh, like, but it's because, like, you know, we don't, we're not even aware of our maps, right? Mm-hmm. So I always, like, if you're looking for the big O, mm-hmm. you got to go backwards, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're looking for the treasure, but you ain't got no map, baby. Ooh. Okay? <laughs> so find the now. map. Yep. Right? And I think that when I think about my most juicy experiences, <laughs> it was because I knew, like, what turns me on about this person, mm-hmm. right? Um, typically for me, it's energy and safety yes. and yes. vulnerability. Yes. Like, I'm like, oh, you just talk to me about your deepest fears. <laughs> Toto, here. Like, you can have all of this. Um, right, so I know that. I know that mm-hmm. I'm going to need foreplay mm-hmm. for me. And it's so funny when I think about my ex. I feel like he peeps real quick. So he would do this like song and dance, like open the door. Here, baby, made you dinner. And then he would sit down. You know, I've been thinking a lot about what you said. Right there, that's foreplay. You've been thinking a lot about what I said? Ooh. Go ahead, Bobby. Tell me more. What did I say? <laughs> right? And he, you know, he'll like unpack something. Mm-hmm. And now I feel close to you because you just made a connection and you just unpacked. So then when you touch me, yeah. I feel safe and connected yep. to you. So I know that about me, right? Mm-hmm. So that's part of my pleasure map. Mm-hmm. Intimacy, connection, feeling like I know you. Yeah. And then I would literally like think about my body and his body. Mm-hmm. He had a tattoo right here oh, on his shoulder. And I would literally say, like, and it's so funny how vocal you can be with your partner when yeah. there's trust. Mm-hmm. I would literally say, Papi, that tattoo gets me every time. And he would be like, oh, for real? So like <laughs> when I'm on top, you want to make sure you can see it? And I'd be like, yeah, I need to see it. Like in my, <laughs> in my clear view, whatever, yep. whatever pretzel mm-hmm. you're about to put me in I need the tattoo yep. in pure view right mm-hmm. so it's also like if I because I know my map mm-hmm. I can tell him how his map mixes with mine mm-hmm. right and so I think a lot of the time it was getting to know my body mm-hmm. and I also think right like there is a lot to self-pleasure And I do think we have to do so much work there around shame, around masturbation and touching ourselves. Um, Because I do think a lot of juiciness and O's live there. But there's also in creating safety and exploring pleasure with our partner, right? Mm -hmm. And Bell Hooks teaches us that we only heal truly in community. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's the same with our pleasure. 
Mm -hmm. And so I was able with this partner, I think, you know, he was really wonderful at like, oh, your leg started to shake when I did this. And I'd be like, I don't know, you saw that, you saw that, right? <laughs> like, and just having those conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think what, you know, he said something to me, which I thought was so transformational and all his other lovers should send me Venmos to thank me, <laughs> yeah. um, is that he said, you know, I was always taught that talking about what we're about to do kills the mood. Oh my yeah. God. Let's, no, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we need to unpack right now. Yes. The table. Um, and he was like, but being with you, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk all day. Yep. And and there was a communication that existed mm-hmm. within yeah. our dynamic, mm-hmm. right? And so for orgasms, and I know we joked like about the breathing technique and all of that, but breathing means I'm safe. Mm-hmm. So we could sit here all day long and I'm there are, if you really are looking like for a purely physical, sexual, orgasmic experience, there are sex experts that can tell you about where to push, press, pull, and poke. Mm-hmm. Yep. But the work that I do is telling you where you can lean in, connect, and it be an energetic orgasm, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because I could squirt and, you know, all day long. But if I don't want to hold you afterwards, for me, it's not oh. as juicy as I thought it was going to yeah. be. Yes, yeah. And that's for me. That's not for everyone's pleasure activism. Mm-hmm. But mine, really that juiciness, that orgasm, if I'm breathing, I'm safe. If I'm safe, yeah. I can let go. And mm-hmm. all orgasm, for real, that is neuroscientifically mm-hmm. and that is physiologically. Orgasms are complete and total release of control. Yeah. And that's who orgasms, that's mm-hmm. who squirts, that's who ejaculates, mm-hmm. that's who, you know, mm-hmm. secretes, right? Because you also don't have to be squirting gallons. You can, right. any secretion is an ejaculation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so it really comes from the safety of your body. And, you know, mm-hmm. people don't think that's sexy, but once you have, have yep. felt safety with someone else in your nakedness, Give me that all day long. <laughs> <laughs> but but first, you must feel that safety within yourself. No, oh, really. yes. Yeah. Number one. Yeah. You brought up a great point on talking before <laughs> doing the deed. Put when it I in the table. <laughs> I'm ready to eat. Mix it in a bowl. <laughs> no, it's, it's revolutionary. Also, I think it's very essential. Like, yeah. you have to talk to your sex partner before you actually do it like get to know each other's bodies let me know like what are your erogenous zones like right. where you know how you want me to you know eat the kuda cat down there like <laughs> you you let me know you know mm-hmm. and then we can learn as we go and people people think like that's that kills the mood mm-hmm. i'm like that gets me in the mood what right. are you talking about like i'm here i'm very much like let me pleasure my partner mm-hmm. and i need to know how i'm gonna pleasure my partner mm-hmm. yeah you brought up a good point. I also think the pre-talk is important as yeah. much as the after, after talk. talk. Yes, yeah. after yes. talk. Yes. Yep. I like to cuddle after, but mm-hmm. I like cuddling. And then we could talk about, did you like this part? What was yeah. your favorite part? Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy this? And mm-hmm. I love it. And I think it makes the the next experience even better. Yeah, and it continues right. to be better mm-hmm. and better when you keep pre and after talking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the partner that I have now, he hated, he was like, I didn't do this shit. What is this shit? <laughs> and I was like, no, we're going to sit down and talk. Like, <laughs> Let me change your world. <laughs> and he, now he'd be like, so did you like what I did? Ooh, out there? And I was yeah. like, well, yes, I did. Oh. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I'm happy you're talking about it with me. And it's so crazy because now we talk about, and he jokes around, he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever you definitely put me on to like talking and it's it's so crazy how it's made our sexual experience so much better mm-hmm. um 
And it, I think it's revolutionary yeah. talking about it. And I think, though, for, like, you know, because when I think about some folks in my life who are not very vocal, mm-hmm. who are internal processors, and so vocalizing desires is not something that comes natural. Mm-hmm. I think for those folks, I always say to them, if you're not someone who's vocally going to express your wants and your desires and it's more of an internal process you're going to need that much more safety with your partner yeah. um, right and the and your partner one of the things you should communicate is i'm an internal processor yeah. mm-hmm. um, i'm not very vocal but i'm emotive mm-hmm. and i would like for you to watch my bodily cues for my safety right and these yeah. are and this is why like to Amon's point knowing yourself mm-hmm. is so important to being in communion with someone yeah. in a sacred way yeah. mm-hmm. because if I know I can share and even if it's not sharing vocally every step of the way because I'm an internal processor mm-hmm. you're gonna know whether I'm crossing my legs or whether I'm biting my lip or I'm squinching mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. these are cues from a person's body so I just want to make space for our internal processors too mm-hmm. oh yeah for sure and I feel like there's this connotation that, like, we're all born knowing how to have sex, which is not true. Oh, my no. God. Like, at sex all. is something mm-hmm. you learn. It's something that you get better at. It changes when you are with different people. And, like, for me, I love being guided. Like, I want to hear. I want to hear you in the bedroom. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear what you have to say. I'm going to ask you, do you like that? Do you want me to go faster, slower? Like, right. that's very important. And something I've also, you know, been tapping into is BDSM. I feel like there's also a lot of shame around, like, you know, getting your freaky on. And I'm like, <laughs> why? Like, these are such, like, natural, amazing things that, you know, we can be in tune with. And there's just so much, like, shame around it or, like, who it's accessible Who's to. Who's accessible to. Yeah. yeah. We're very open, y'all, yeah. if you haven't <laughs> noticed already. <laughs> but I think you bring up a good point, Iman. I think growing up in a Hispanic Catholic no. household, Ooh. sex is never talked about, oh. ever. Oh. I think my mom, first of all, I don't even think my mom knows <laughs> the names of the fucking body parts of a man. <laughs> like, truly, truly. I don't even right. know if she knows hers, to be honest. Mm. I think I never had the bee and the birds talk mm-hmm. or any of that talk. I think my mom was like, don't get pregnant or don't your future pregnant. is yep. ruined. Yeah. She never told me if you do get pregnant. I mean, if you do start having sex, here's condoms or use condoms or mm-hmm. use protect. Like my mom and contraception is like, no. you know, it's it's not allowed. Mm-hmm. No. As a Catholic, you're not supposed to have that. Nope. It's like a sin. Mm-hmm. And also just like. It's a lot. It's a lot going on. And I think growing up, I used to be so scared of having sex. Yeah. Oh, my God. If I have sex one time, I'm going to get pregnant. Yeah. My future is ruined. I'm going to be a nobody. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to hate me. My <laughs> mother's going to disown me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know about protection or contraception until I really started learning about it in programs that I were in, right. conversations with people, mm-hmm. um, and just in general. And I think it's so crazy, like, the way you grow up and the fear that is instilled yeah. in you at such a young age to not have such a pleasant relationship with sex. Yeah. Yeah. And that just goes into another question that we have. Like, how has your culture slash identity impacted your journey so far we could even mention like religion you know your family's journey and all that sorts yeah I mean Natalia like (laughs) did were you at the meeting with my mom Um, (laughs) right so my mother I think grew up in one of the most so my grandparents were actually community activists 
but through a Catholic Latinx lens, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like there's Catholic and then there's Latino Catholic, which is a whole other experience of more flamboyant guilt and shame. Mm. (laughs) So it's really interesting that I grew up with my grandparents who everybody knew in this Right, like literally where we live in the town that we live in, the city that we live in, they were known for their activism um, through Christianity and Catholicism. And so my mother was immersed in that. And what's wild to me is like my mother to this day, we've never had the conversation that I'm quite positive she eloped with my father because she got pregnant. That is never a conversation that we've had. My brother has made jokes when we are out just with our cousins. And so I knew we grew up with my grandparents saying that premarital sex was a mortal sin. There is no need for birth control unless you're going to be a hoe, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, yeah. And it was such slut-shaming, misogynistic, yeah. patriarchal um, mm-hmm. grounding of understanding sex. There was no pleasure in sex. Sex was for children and procreation, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no talk about like even the woman's health. Like my grandmother had six children um lost a child no talk about the grief process in her body and postpartum depression Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. none of that was ever discussed and so my mother eloping to you know with my father and then creating my brother out of that and then having me like we're not even talking about the the trauma that exists in what that felt like for my mother yeah it's it's Mm -hmm. we don't talk about it to this day Mm -hmm. (laughs) so when i think about everything that i've done so far with my life I don't know how I am who I am or how I am the way I am because I am, in essence, my family's worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. I am everything yeah. that their legacy is, uh, like, I'm, I, I'm against everything their, everything their legacy is known for. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. I think the yeah. saving grace was my parents, because of their elopement, my parents, because of their dedication to creating a family that was not like their own, I'm from, I'm, I am my ancestors of activism and retaliation against their own activism in one being, Mm. right? Like my parents were like a big fuck you to everything they've both known and their legacy that they bestowed upon me and my brother was some Bonnie and Clyde shit. Like (laughs) me, like my grew up with my dad saying, it is me, your mother and your brother against the world. It is the four of us and that's it. If the four of us can do anything, it's the four. Like, the four of us, the four of us, the four of us. And if you disrespected my mother, you were dead to my father. Right? Mm. And so it was like, the four of us, but you don't ever fuck with your mother. (laughs) Mm. And so their legacy of love made me someone who took that legacy of love and challenged my parents to recognize that their legacy actually required me to disobey them. Mm-hmm. And I tell my mother yeah. all the time, I'm avenging you, and you don't even know it. Damn. Like, I avenge my mother every time I talk about sex in a public space. I avenge my mother every time I say that I enjoy sex. I'm avenging my father every time I say will not be with a man who does not believe mm-hmm. that I am sanctity in his life realized. Amen. I'm avenging my grandmother when I own who I am. And whether my family can understand that I am their avenger in this lifetime or not, I don't live to make my ancestors proud. I live to make my children proud. And so how I grew up, I mean, oh, my God, the shame around sex. Like, 
and now I'm a pleasure activist, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. wild. I grew up with like, you are with your partner and you get buried together and I'm divorced, proudly divorced. <laughs> if I could get divorced every day from that man, I would. Cause when co-parenting every day, I'm like, I divorce you. <laughs> every time he calls me, we're divorced. <laughs> um, right? Like I am their worst nightmare and yet mm-hmm. they don't even realize I'm their avenger. Yeah, they don't. How have you dealt with like that friction that may come up as a result of that? Mm. What's so interesting is my mother is a Scorpio, so they don't like to talk about anything, but their messages are very clear. Mm. <laughs> um, and my dad is a Leo, which if you met him, he screams Leo. Um, so I think with my father, him and I, he always loved who I was. And the sex talk actually happened with my dad. I'll never forget. We were in his gold van. <laughs> And he was like, I know everyone talks to you out of nowhere. Like, my favorite song was on. And he was like, hold on. Turns it down. And he said, I'll never forget it. Everyone's going to talk to you about not getting pregnant and not getting an STI. Those are real. But I want to talk to you about what you'll feel like if you give yourself to someone and they don't recognize what a gift you are. I want to talk to you about what could happen to you in your mind and in your heart when a man can disrespect you through sex. Mm. I was like what happened to you daddy like so my sex talk came from my dad Mm. um and so our relationship in adolescence was incredible it wasn't until post-divorce where me and my dad started to have a lot of friction Mm -hmm. it was you know who the hell do you think you are type energy from him and that I he didn't recognize me anymore and you've really changed but in a way to shame me Uh and I I just would not give in I would not give in. I would be like, if I've changed, and I've changed. And if you don't love, if you don't love the new version of me, I can no longer be the version you've assigned me. Ooh. Mm. Oh my god! <laughs> I just can't. Yeah. So yep. my dad and I have hatched it out. Have had really painful back and forths, and then in true Leo version, it clicks for him. He gets it, and he kisses me on the forehead and says, "Love you, me, huh?" And then that's it. That's that's the talk. Mm-hmm. And then with my mom. She'll just listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, not really respond. Okay, that's how you feel. Okay, okay. And then it's a subtweet <laughs> that's really hurtful or like mm. really curt. And then I'll call her out on it. Mm-hmm. So I would say, and I say this to Brie all the time, who's my best friend, mm-hmm. um, my life partner. My parents don't know who I am at all. Mm-hmm. And that used to make me feel like a fraud. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. And then I learned from my therapist that they know my heart. Mm-hmm. And they may not know that I'm a hyperly sexual, flamboyant, attracted to masculinity, so not necessarily heterosexual. They may not know any of that about me, right? And how I stay, <laughs> like, they would die. My mother would die if she right. knew those parts of me. Uh-huh. But she knows that I will always authentically follow my heart and my heart is always in the right place. And if they know that, then they know me. Yeah. They don't necessarily need to know how I express that, who I am when I'm not in daughter mode. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Like I've made peace with that. doesn't make me a fraud. It makes it that there will be people in my life who have access to my totality and people who have access to a dimension of me. Mm. And unfortunately... Right now, my parents have an access to a dimension of me. Mm. And then I have to fill that with folks 
who will love my totality. Snap, wow. snap, 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 snap. Because I felt that. I felt that, y'all. I felt that, too. All of it resonated. Really? No, really, though. Really. Oh, my God. I need to accept that. I think what's so hard for me is that it's my mother. It's yeah. my... And you think, yeah. like, that's my family. Mm-hmm. I need to give them everything. I need yes. to give them yeah, all. Yeah. And I think that's something I'm struggling with now because... I don't feel like my mother knows me completely. I think I'm giving her a dimension as well, but mm-hmm. it's so hard for me because I want to sit down and be like, I want to give you yeah. all of me. I want to give you the total Natalia, yeah. but mm-hmm. I don't know if you're able to take that. I don't know if you're able to accept that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's for you yet, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's the concept of family, the fact that yeah. like yeah. You, you, everybody feels or this societal norm where it's like family is like unconditional love family is everything it's life or death you're rock Mm -hmm. but sometimes family can be toxic or oh yeah not not what you need sometimes and i think that's hard to grasp as well i think the most conditions exist in families Mm. (laughs) right like i feel like when we hear unconditional love we are supposed to associate it with families but that's literally not how families are made families are made from conditions Mm -hmm. and I love and that and you know you've asked me one of the most beautiful questions of how has queer theory radicalized me or Mm -hmm. what has it gifted me and it's gifted me a a memory from ancestors way before any of the ancestors I know and that is that family true family cannot come from one person coming from a family and another person coming from a family making a new baby and -hmm. these two people who have God knows what Mm -hmm. going on just created a new being and put all that shit from each side into this being and there's not conditions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is a condition of the nuclear family. Nuclear families are conditional by design. Mm -hmm. So queer theory, queer love, queer life is a return to truly being in family without conditions. Mm -hmm. That's what I think, right? Because our families are conditional, Yeah. Yeah. period. Like the nuclear family has to be based on conditions. Mm -hmm. Wow. No, yeah, like queer theory has really shown me that uh, sometimes like your family, your blood family, they they won't get it. Mm -hmm. And it becomes even more harder when you start realizing like the traumas i think that's where i'm at at this point in my life like accepting that and i oh my god i'm the type of person like i want to save my family i want to you know i want to remove that trauma that they have but again like it's not necessarily my life's mission like i talked to my mom about theory and you could tell like i am i am her dream like i am like challenging all the things that she wasn't able to do but at the same time you know, there's just stuff that I can't necessarily do for her, and she has to do it for herself. Yeah. You know, you just got to give and take what you can do, and, yeah. Let yeah. me stop before I get emotional. No, I'm literally, like, almost about to tear up. <laughs> I don't know how many yeah. times I need to say this. <laughs> I think it's that's something, like, I've battled or been in friction with since I was a child because, like, literally as young as, like, 10, 8 years old, I was, like, I, like... These con- I'm aware of these conditions under which you'll only love me, or, like, yes. these conditions exist, and, like, if you do not abide by these conditions, we do not love you. And, like, mm-hmm. my like my mother knows I'm queer. Like, I've had experiences as a child where I've 
like explicit, explicitly stated that I like like women. I have feelings for it. This was something that like my body knew, my mind and soul knew even before I could formulate anything else. Mm-hmm. And I've had conversations with Emily about how I have this theory that my mom was queer. So this is just like, <laughs> <laughs> this is a trauma. Probably. <laughs> this is just like trauma. I'm a little fruity. <laughs> no, literally. Um, and so like I felt the most alone around family. And that is something that, like, I struggled with my first year, too. Like, watching all my friends go back to family, go back to these spaces. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I came here, came to college to remove myself from that so I can save myself. Mm -hmm. So that I can understand that, like, in order for me to exist and show up in this world as my whole self and be, like, truly safe, Mm -hmm. I have to, like remove myself from this idea that like the nuclear family is the only family that exists Mm -hmm. because like i like i don't know how my family would react if i were to explicitly say i'm queer i love women and like queer people like i just don't think that like they would be able to grasp that and it would cause such like a a rift in our family and like that hurts me so much because i'm like i want you to see the side of me it's so Mm -hmm. beautiful but like I can't like and yes. not only I can't for my safety but also for the safety like they cannot just they can't they can't grasp it they can't understand it so mm-hmm. yeah. I think what we're not taught too is and ugh, this is why I'm saying like I come home when I'm in the three of years presence <laughs> right like it's just it's a coming home but we're not when we're lovers like the way we are right like you know I, I hear all of us saying this throughout this whole episode like we love hard we love big I think we love without the boundaries that we've been born into. Mm-hmm. And so many of our peers and counterparts and those we've chosen to love are hostages of those boundaries. Mm-hmm. And the four of us, our hearts here, right, in communion, have never, ever abided by those borders, mm-hmm. yeah. right? But mm-hmm. what we haven't been taught when you love this way without borders is to include understanding those in our lives capacity Mm -hmm. yeah right and so for my parents in particular I know that they love me and I know that they would do anything for me and I know that they know my heart is always in the right place and they can be proud of my heart and I have to accept that right now and perhaps the totality of my life They don't have the capacity to have my lens or my way of functioning in my life, right? And so I think that that goes beyond our parents, but it makes sense that the lack of capacity we have found in our parents, we tend to find in our partners. Oh my God, yes. (laughs) That is actually a really real phenomenon. We are all an inner child trying to get the love that we didn't get. Whoa, you gotta stop there. No. <laughs> stop, right. I'm already crying. I'm already crying. <laughs> right, so when you were saying, like, why do I always get a narcissist or why am I always with someone who's not emotionally intelligent? Yeah. Like, well, because we grew up with oh, larger capacities yeah. than those in our nuclear families, and we're looking for unconsciously what's familiar. Mm-hmm. And what's familiar is those that don't have the capacity. And those that don't have the capacity are always going to be attracted to our bounty. Oh, always, why? 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 always be attracted to our bounty. And then we leave those relationships thinking we're not enough. 
And oh it's my the God. biggest lie. Yeah. <laughs> it's the biggest lie. Because we don't feel like we're enough for our parents, right? Like yes. it, it's all, it yes, comes yes. full circle. So mm-hmm. learning that there are folks in my life that will get a dimension of me and folks in my life that will get a totality of me based on their capacity mm-hmm. is how I stay safe. That was beautiful. Wow. Wow, deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm a strong believer. Like, I feel like after every generation in our families, we are our parents' wildest dreams. Oh, yes. yes. Very, yeah. I think we are improving, we are growing for the next generation. Like, I see Christina yeah. as a mother, and oh, my God. Beautiful. I, I wish, I wish that some parts were implemented like that in my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. It's so beautiful to watch, to witness, to yeah. see yeah. how emotionally intelligent your daughters are at <laughs> such a young age. Like, it's beautiful. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't think you grasp. Like, I wish I was mm-hmm. on the level that they were. And yeah. I cannot wait for, like, the amazing conversations yeah. and experiences they're going to have mm-hmm. having a mother like you. Yeah. And I think you have saved them so much trauma. <laughs> Let me just say yes. that. Yes. So much trauma, so much heartbreak, and so much yeah. bad energy in their body for being uh, an amazing mother. Yeah. And I don't know if anybody tells you that, but I'm telling you now. Right. And I hope you you know, give yourself a pat in the back because it's, yeah. it's, it's something hard to do. It's no, it something is. so hard to do. And I witnessed my own mother trying to be different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. like sometimes you do what you're so familiar with. Yeah. Yes. And I, yeah. I can see sometimes she tries, but it just it doesn't work out. Or sometimes yeah. she just gives up. And yeah. I think you definitely take a different approach, and it's very beautiful to see. Yeah, and seeing you mother and just love and show up in this world in the way that you do, I think shows me that, like, everything that I've been wanting my whole life and asking for and that I've known is, like, so possible and close mm. for me mm-hmm. like I've known that like my body's known that my soul's known that like and I feel like I've been gaslit my whole life to <sighs> think that it's not accessible yes. but you show me every day that it is mm-hmm. and it's a possibility and I think that reminds me that like you know as I do the work and as I invest in community and myself like I get closer and closer to that every day yeah. so thank you thank you oh yeah <laughs> No. And and think about it like isn't that's the goal right like yeah. within each generation of our families like is to do better to know better mm-hmm. to heal to grow like I'm I don't know if I would ever like have children yet but mm-hmm. I know like they're we're just improving from that like yeah. I see how my mother has grown from the trauma that she's had with her family mm-hmm. and with her parents and stuff and how you know trauma is still lingering but how she continues to like overcome it with me with my existence and how I'm trying to like overcome like the traumas that come along yeah. with my position in my generation and we you know we just keep challenging and challenging and becoming better people as we go mm-hmm. and I, I think that's the goal like that is the goal yeah. it's like we're slowly kind of going back to the ways that we're supposed to be in yeah. community with yeah. one another. Yes. Like, there's this unraveling. Mm-hmm. Ooh, a lot of unlearning, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unlearning. Oof. Yeah, I think it's it's beautiful. It's poetic in that as generations move forward, we're reaching further mm-hmm. and further back to our origins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And I think that's because our origins is where all the pleasure is. Yeah. It was lost with each generation after and after and after. And I think our generation's calling is to skip over all yeah. that in between, all mm-hmm. the trauma, all the tribulation, mm-hmm. all the right, like the pain, yeah. and get back to the origin story of our families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that will go into like 
um, if you could go back in time to give your teenage self Oy. some advice, <laughs> wisdom in regards to your pleasure journey, what would you say? Run, mommy, run. <laughs> um, ooh, right. So, my God, what I would have saved myself from. I think, you know, especially I grew up um, in a predominantly white educational space, but lived in a city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that juxtaposition wrecked havoc on my understanding of my desirability and value based on my ornamentation um, and the way I looked. Mm-hmm. So I think what I would tell myself is, it's not that you're not pretty, it's that you're in white spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and those Eurocentric beauty standards are going to kill you if you don't divest from them. Because for real, for real, like if I go back to the root of why I was with my, you know, husband at 17, it wasn't a full bodied uh, yes, it wasn't an abundant yes, it was because I had listened to this rhetoric of like not being pretty enough in a white space. And at least he thinks I'm pretty. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would say the best tactic, abuse tactic he used in our 10 plus year relationship was my issues with desirability. (gasps) No. Like he peeped real quick that that's my Achilles heel. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because it was such a salient age to experience being fetishized and yet not pretty enough Mm. um, in white spaces. Um, And so... He used that so quickly on me um, that I can pinpoint it. Like I can go back and pinpoint the moment when I started to believe that I was lucky that he found me attractive because nobody else was going to. Um, I was lucky that we had sex and he wasn't going to think I was a hoe because, you know, I'm Christina to him. But if we break up, then I'm a hoe because I had premarital sex. Like, I can go back Mm. to all the ways in which pleasure, the opposite, right? Like, the opposition of pleasure was used to keep me in a cycle of abuse. Mm. I can can go back. It was, Mm. okay, so we're going to use desirability against her. We're going to use white supremacy against Mm. her. We're going to use scarcity against her. And, you know, I stayed in that cycle of abuse because... I'm not pretty enough, I'm not going to be wanted enough, and I've already had sex with him, and I'm only supposed to have sex with somebody I'm going to marry, so I need to either marry him or he can't can't leave me, because if he leaves Mm -hmm. me, I've already had sex with him, and I've lost something, right? Like, I grew up that if you gave your flower, (laughs) right? Like, so losing your virginity, right? Like, loss. I was told that I lost something. And so if this person had it, I could only keep myself because what I lost, I gave to him. Mm-hmm. And so if I could go back, it would be that all of it's a lie. Mm-hmm. All of it's a construct. You're a bad bitch. Go to New York for college and you'll see how bad you are. <laughs> be around men of color and you will see that you are attractive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that my value is never going to be in my desirability. I probably yeah. would have did that work mm-hmm. a lot earlier mm-hmm. um, in my life. So... I mean, there's so much I would tell myself because everything that I operated in, I knew was wrong, but nobody else was telling me it was wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? So when you talk about gaslighting, I also lived in that my whole teenage life of like, I knew everybody else was fucked up, but nobody was saying it was yeah. fucked up. So I played along mm-hmm. and yeah. playing along is actually the trauma, yeah. right? For me, 
um, it was playing along, like participating in my degradation, participating yeah. in my abuse, participating, participating, participating. Um, so my teenage self was desperate for someone to be like, mommy, stop playing the game because they're all going to lose. Mm. Give me your hand. I just, I don't know, <laughs> that just uh, resonated. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. What would you tell you guys, like, younger selves? I mean, I feel like we're still young, so <laughs> we're in our early 20s. But even, in, like, in high school, what would you have told your younger self? I think I agree with Christina. It's so crazy because I feel like my first heartbreak, I don't know, my first breakup, it really ended when I was 17. And I thought the world was coming down. (laughs) I thought nobody's going to want me. I already have a body on top of me. Who's going to want someone who already yeah. had sex with another man who's been used up, yep. who's been touched? I used to, and I was 17. I was like, <laughs> I'm not even 20. Like, yes. what? And I was thinking so <laughs> negative about myself. I had probably, like, low self-esteem. I was just so doubtful of my potential, my beauty, of who I really am. I think I would tell myself, like, you're going to be fine. And if anything, you're going to find a partner who loves you so much more, who can truly understand your love language, who can provide in ways that you have never been provided by before, whether it's from your family, from your relationships, from any way, like you're going to find someone mm-hmm. who is going to like, who is going to upseed your standards, who's going to make you so happy. And I think that's something that I just wanted to tell about. Just wait, just wait. It gets better. It gets better. It gets, better. better. It, it gets better. better. It just gets better. I promise. It does. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the, let's not even talk about dating. Because um, I was in the dating game. And let me tell y'all, I had men going crazy. <laughs> and I was like, for me? <laughs> me? You yeah. want to take me out? You mm-hmm. want to you give me a five-course meal? <laughs> Maybe I'll be the dessert. Like, you <laughs> let me know. And I think it's so crazy. I've never had that before where someone was like, I want you, I desire you, and I need you. Yeah. And I think that's something I really struggled with because I thought nobody would want me. I yes. thought I wasn't desirable. I thought mm-hmm. no one was going to need me, and I'm just going to be a nobody. Mm-hmm. And I think waiting and you know healing and growing taught me like it's okay someone's gonna want you many Mm -hmm. people are gonna want you and if anything you're gonna have options you're gonna have choices to make but Mm -hmm. i think the wait it gets better it gets better um i think that i would tell myself that like being wanted by other people whether that's family friends lovers is not gonna solve all your problems because amen i thought that that was like once I got into a relationship, once I was wanted by somebody else, everything would fall into place. And it was actually the exact opposite. Like, yeah. things just got progressively messier because I was like, there's so much I have to unpack, so much work I still have to do. And honestly, that's something I'm still trying to work on, like, mm. wanting myself. Yes. Like, being able to hold myself and be alone with myself and love up on myself. I struggle with that still. And, like, I have to actively remind myself when I'm, like, you know, engaging in, like, pleasure with other people or being intimate with other people, not to be codependent on it, because it's so easy for me to fall into that trap Mm -hmm. of, like, this person wants me, I no longer have to do that work, because that work is so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. Like, and I know that there's, and I... I sit with my therapist, like, once a week, and she'd be calling me out (laughs) every week. She's like, you have to, like, go back 
internally and like you know you have to hold that space for yourself you have to want yourself and it's not being wanted like by everyone I've been wanted to be wanted by has harmed me so much like my mother not loving me in the ways I need to be loved my partner not showing up for me in the ways that I need to be shown up for friends like you know all this harm has like informed how I want myself and it's Mm. it's so hard to build that and, and to like you know kind of just build that from the bottom up but if I could go back in high school I would tell myself to start there like cut the bullshit cut the, cut cut the, the external the yeah mm-hmm. and like not don't be so hung up on like the validation of men because you don't even like men <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? say it louder like <laughs> this is all like yeah. th- this the universe is calling you to do some work and you have to do it now yeah. like why aren't we taught to want ourselves yeah like you're you speak to something i think everyone does but no one admits mm-hmm. that we so rely on even activating pleasure by someone else's cue of wanting us, mm-hmm. right? And how easy it is then to be like, oh, I'm feeling myself because someone's feeling someone you. Someone else, mm-hmm. yeah. And I read this quote, I don't even know, God bless whatever author, but it was like, <laughs> if someone doesn't want me, it's the end of the day. But if I don't want myself, the world ends every day, Ooh. right? And I remember reading and be like, nobody asked you, like, <laughs> <laughs> and like throwing my phone. Mm-hmm. But nobody teaches us to want ourselves yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i think younger self me i mean i was suppressing a lot of my queerness from Mm -hmm. a very early age so i i would you know obviously tell myself girl you you know you're a little fruity (laughs) and you know explore that side of me but also i feel like i struggled so much with like conforming to the male gaze oh oh my god when i tell you i and the queerness in me was always there like i was challenging but again like heteronormativity was just coming at me. It was like, no, you got to act this way. You got this, 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 and that. And then I found myself, like, engaging, you know, like, in dynamics with um, guy, with guys and stuff. And I I didn't feel like myself. I felt as though I was performing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Performance was just in every dynamic of me. And I feel like I performed a lot in my first relationship. And, um, yeah, I would tell myself, don't perform no more. Like, be your genuine self stop getting into the male gaze like my body is not the only thing that's beautiful about Mm, me like oh my god and i'm challenging that now and i'm so happy that i am but younger me i wish i would have told her sooner healing to our younger selves yeah we're all wounded child to everyone everyone I think we should do a little, you know, temperature check of how we're feeling because ah. I feel like, you know, <laughs> the conversation's naturally coming to an end. So, yeah, how are we all feeling? We're doing really good. I'm Not good. Really. Yeah, it made me emotional. <laughs> Not even gonna lie. And yeah. it's hard. I feel like I fully unpacked. There's nothing in the box. It's fully unpacked. <laughs> it's empty. It's empty. Y'all, it's empty. But I think um, it was such a beautiful conversation to have. And it was something I didn't know I really needed. Mm. Yeah. Um, We could finish off with um, one last question. Any advice for anyone starting their own journey in learning and experiencing pleasure? Where would they start, et cetera? So for me, the start was, I'll never forget, God bless the professor. I was in um, a women and gender sexuality studies course my first year in college. Mm. Um, and I had said something in class, couldn't tell you what I said. 
And the professor asked me to stay after, and I was like, my brother told me I talk too much. Like, <laughs> um, and she asked me to stay after class, and she handed me Bell Hook's New Visions book. Um, and she was like, listen, there's something about you that wants to come out. Read this book. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, what in the world? And I went home to, you know, my dorm and opened up the book, and I couldn't put it down. And then I remember going to the library the next day and saying to the librarian, I want everything written by Bell Hooks. Um, and she was like, everything? And I was like, well, you know, like the most popular stuff, whatever. <laughs> um, and she handed me, you know, um, All About Love. Uh-huh. She handed me the book um, that's specifically to cishet men. Um, and I just, uh, Sisters of the Yam, uh, Teaching as a Transgression. Mm. And it completely felt like I am not alone. I just haven't met my people. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I actually had recently, maybe like a couple months ago, I had a conversation um, with a professor, conversation with one of the professors here. Um, and she said something to me that was so brilliant. She said, you know you're reading something prolific when when you're reading it, it feels intuitive, but it wasn't until you read it. And every time I've read Bell Hooks, it has felt like I've known this my whole life, but I didn't know it till I read it. Um, and Bell Hooks, I would say, is who loved me through books so that I could love myself enough to look in the mirror and be like, what is, what is on me that I didn't put here? So that I could start to take off armor, borders, and boundaries that were built from survival versus boundaries that were built from my capacity. Mm. So I would say to anyone, you know, like find a writer that when you read them, you feel like they know your insides <laughs> mm -hmm. and follow them. Um, and so Bell Hooks led me to Audre Lorde. Audre Lorde mm -hmm. led me to um, James Baldwin. James Baldwin led me to um, Nikki Giovanni. And then I found Sonia Renee Taylor. And then I found Adrienne Marie Brown. And when I found Adrienne Marie Brown, that is literally the only reason that I think I'll finally be the therapist that I've been trying to be since I went to grad school for counseling, clinical counseling and psychology, because Adrienne Marie Brown does somatics and pleasure. And I actually think all of our answers for all of our trauma live in our bodies and in pleasure. Mm -hmm. So I would start with writers and definitely everyone I just mentioned, go read them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was a beautiful episode, y'all. Yes, it was. Thank you so much for coming here and, you know, just being a part of the space. Oh, the kitchen table. Everyone should sit at this kitchen table. <laughs> <laughs> Come eat with us. Yes. Come feed your soul. And I think that's a wrap for episode two. Thank you guys for tuning in. <laughs>